Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, uh, episode 27, I believe. Um, and, uh, oh, a special treat, everybody. Is it? Well, we'll see how it goes. Um, <clears throat> uh, so I have a friend here with me that uh, people, uh, strangely enough, have asked when, he's, when is he going to be on. Uh, chief among them himself, but, uh, but not, the, not the only one. Other I people. sent an email just today. Yeah, which is strange, because I already said you're going to be on... But, I like uh, a little confirmation. Well, I, I, I can't say as I blame you, but uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so uh, an old friend of mine from, uh, I guess, uh, for about 11 years now, uh, you've heard him on uh, Battleship Pretension. You've heard him on, uh, on his own show uh, before he quit. Uh, it's called Experts and Intermediates. Uh, Jason Eakin, everybody. Hello. I was waiting for the applause. It didn't come. I'll put it in in post. <laughs> That's the spirit. How 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 you doing? I'm I know the, how you're doing. We've been talking. Yeah, it's fine. No, it's, thank you for being here. I was, you know what? That's what I'm to, to say. No, I, no, I'm say I say that. Oh, okay. I, see. I was expecting you to say I didn't quit. I completed it because at this point I like the shtick that we have, but apparently we don't have it. I thought we, we did. We don't have it because I. The thing is, when you know what you are and and who you are, and you're secure in that, you don't always have to say it. I think that I'm said, go... I, I completed my podcast. Right. A mere 33 episodes. How, how many episodes? This is 27? 27. You've only got six more episodes to achieve what I achieved. Do you think you could do it? No. No. Do you want to? Um, Would you like to give it a college try? I'll give it the old college try. The uh, new college try doesn't mean much. I've, I've come to determine. Um, yeah, uh, which actually, uh, that, that'll lead, we'll, we'll get to know you a little bit, uh, for those that don't already, uh, know okay. everything worth knowing about you, um, which I think, given the first two minutes, I think people get it, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, so Experts and Intermediates, uh, you can find it on iTunes still, in, in spite of the fact that yeah. it has been completed, there's only four episodes available. Oh, is that right? I, yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> okay. Um, someone asked me, like, a couple of people after I was on, uh, Battleship Pretension, uh, like they found my blog, which was very, mm-hmm. very kind of them, and said like, "Hey, we'd like to hear you know these specific episodes. We don't have them." Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, "You know what? I'm going to make it a goal to put those episodes online." And I put, mm-hmm. I like spent like a few, uh, just a little while, and put three of them on there. And I thought I'll put three on, and then we'll come back do a few more. Yeah. And I haven't done it since then. Okay. It's been. Well, months. I would I would recommend that you, that uh, that you do so. There is a lot of really solid episodes on there. Yeah. Uh, the ones that are available are I, th- I think the final countdown, which is your your last episode. Oh, it's uh, Your Michael Bay episode. Uh, I don't remember what the other two were. I thought it was the first three. I thought I was going in order. <laughs> okay. Maybe I didn't, because uh, well, I never checked. Well, your uh, your episode about uh, Sex in the City, uh, you and I were discussing this the other day. That's yeah. one that I think is very solid and, and should be made available. Yeah. Um, See, I would almost want to go back and, and do a little editing, though, because there's a whole like 20-minute phone conversation in there. It's a little It never worked out like I wanted it to, even though the, the material was good, and it really set up... Sort of yeah. my perspective going into it, yeah. but you don't really need a twenty-five minute setup when you're doing a podcast, especially because in that specific section, the audio is not the best. No, it's and really so bad. Twenty-five minutes of that, like after the first five, I'm like, I, I think I get it, and yeah. I know this is a friend of mine, but I'm going to skip ahead. Um, but okay. uh, but it's a very good episode, and uh, and just the the podcast was was very good. There uh, there we got a lot of people who um, yeah. 
you know, uh, David and I got a lot of people saying like, oh, we would really, we, we want Jason Egan back. I listen to experts and intermediates and I listen to BP and, uh, there's just a nice blend going on. And so, um, so, well, and uh, I, I do think like, I am proud uh, that it was a different sort of podcast and mm. that it wasn't just movies. It wasn't just, right. you know, one thing. It was mo- movies and music and books and TV mm. and comic books at one point. And, yeah. and uh, eventually, like the, the, the final episode is, I think, my favorite episode <coughs> because it's the top 10 artistic experiences of your life. Mm-hmm. And that can mean anything. Like it, it's so open yeah. to whatever it is that you've experienced. And I really, I really like that idea. And I will say that, uh, you know, the one uh, seeming drawback of of the show is one that is similar to one that I have for this show, mm-hmm. which is people are all often saying like, well, you know, because I, I, I will tend to grill my friends to make sure that they're supporting me in every possible way. Yeah. And uh, I say, do you listen to the show? And they say, I would. But, I, you know, I listen to a few episodes. I don't listen to I don't listen to episodes about movies I haven't seen. And so it's like, OK, well, that's hmm. that such is the nature of. This because this is not necessarily a review show. Yeah. It's a fair assumption that I might throw out uh, a spoiler from time to time, and people don't want to hear that. And so, oh yeah, I've, so I understand that. I'm assuming spoilers. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so, um, so I so my audience, I've come to determine it will only ever be so big. Uh, people will yeah. listen, and and people, I don't know anybody except for a few friends of mine that have listened to all the episodes. And, I, uh, I have not. Yeah, Jason hasn't. Uh, he'll listen to this one, and I think that might be it. That's gonna be. That's gonna kind of tap me out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's put me over the top. So my um, cup runneth over. Indeed. So uh, you listen. Did you to notice the-, the Christian reference I just made? Cup runneth. Son of a. Because this is a Christian podcast. It sure is. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, um, but uh, and so experts and intermediates, it it kind of had the same thing. Like you know, you guys would talk about a book. Or something, yeah. and, uh, and one like, episode uh, was five books. Yeah, uh, I haven't read any of those. Yeah, and so part of me was just like, I think I can skip this episode. Uh, mm-hmm. But I tried to listen to uh, a certain chunk of it, and uh, and I didn't finish it, not because it wasn't interesting, but because after a while, it's just like, well, there's only so much I will be able to get out of this. Yeah, especially with books, because like, well, now I got now I got five books on the docket that I got to read. Oh um, yeah, like that was that was an episode you could say like about eight months in the making. Oh yeah, you know because I I read those books over like from like a spring to a fall with a yeah. couple other books interspersed in there. Yeah, but yeah, and so we were like, hey, well, I did this thing. Uh, you've read most of those books. Let's let's talk about them. Yeah, and uh, so. but it was still it was still interesting. I would compare it to uh, to uh, our friend uh, Colin Marshall's podcast. Oh, I do uh, like barely that. literate. Um, in which uh, both you and I have appeared on mm-hmm. that uh, on separate occasions. Um, I you did. Know, a, I did a really. I was really pleased. I did an episode, uh, like at, right after I got out here, that has not been put up yet. Oh yeah, it takes like months. I think maybe because like he's never asked me for the audio. I don't even know if I have it still. Oh my! And that that I suppose that could be a problem. I think it could be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That so, can, uh, but it was a really good episode. It was yeah. about a David Foster Wallace book. So, oh, you know, nice. You know, I'm on board. Absolutely. I have to assume the episode was about 18 hours long, just in keeping with the spirit of the book. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, and it was so we'll, non-linear. We'll move <laughs> right. Yeah, let's jump back to. Uh, uh, we'll welcome you all now. <laughs> about 35 minutes in. Opening thoughts. So the uh, 
so we'll we'll move on from there. But uh, for those that that haven't heard uh, experts and intermediates, go back and listen to it. Uh, Jason, I, I I implore you and encourage you to uh, to go in and, and put up some more episodes uh, for so people can can listen to it because it is one of the. I did consider it not just because it was a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I did consider it one of the better uh, podcasts out there uh, because it was you know an arts and entertainment podcast it wasn't about any yeah. one thing uh and it under you know it, it really put forth the idea that all these arts appreciation of one can help you appreciate the other and before yeah. you know it they all they can all link together mm-hmm. and um so it was, it was a very good show but uh <clears throat> but enough about that thank you all right um let's move on you uh you li- where did you go to uh college well here's the thing so jason and i went to high school together yeah uh for nixon, a couple missouri. of years in nixon missouri uh, home of Jason Bourne uh, and Jason Eakin. <laughs> what? Anyway, so uh, the I'm sorry. So I'm I'm I know the answer to a lot of these questions. I but, know, but uh, so I'm trying to think of a way to phrase it. So, I but I've handed Tyler a questionnaire. The ten questions you must ask a Jason Eakin. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, I'm going to go back and ask you about high school, even though I know okay. some of the answers to these questions. That's fine. Uh, so you. First off, you live here in Los Angeles. I do. You're a writer, mm-hmm. a director. Mm-hmm. You have acted. Yes. And um, so how did you arrive at this? And you've also uh, been a Christian for many years. Yes. So how did you arrive here in Los Angeles? And I don't mean the physical logistics of coming here. Right. Um, but uh, so let's go back to high school and maybe even further back, if you like. Mm-hmm. You know, at what point did you start to develop these uh, these goals to get into film, to be a writer, to express yourself creatively and artistically? Right. Um, it's actually it's a it's interesting to me, and maybe only to me, uh, looking back on it because, like, in terms of like, I, I think about it in terms of my interest in storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. When when I was a kid. I actually, it's not that I didn't play well with others. I enjoyed like, uh, you know, like playing sports with other other kids or like playing at recess with them. We'd all be Ninja Turtles or, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever. Which turtle were you? Uh, Raphael. Really? Okay, yeah. interesting. The one with the attitude? Yeah. I like Donatello. You would. He was the more intellectual one. I, I like, I like, uh, I like any uh, comic book character that uh, wears a purple mask across mm-hmm. his eyes. See? Because I, because... I got all those Riddler figures. Okay, go oh, ahead. Oh yeah, those Riddler <clears throat> figures right there. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Um, but, but playing. Did you ever play like action figures with a friend? Uh, from time to time. Uh, I hated it. I didn't care like, for it either because they didn't do the voices that I would. They do. didn't do the. They didn't. <laughs> honestly, looking back, I understand this. I I I knew it. I knew something was wrong at the time, and I knew I didn't like it. But I didn't. I couldn't put my. You know, I I didn't know how to express it. Mm-hmm. Um. They didn't understand the narrative that I was going for. Oh, yeah. You know, like when like my dream, I told my parents every single Christmas and every single birthday, what I want is like, because I played with, I had three main uh, action figure worlds that okay. I played with. Yeah. Uh, Dick Tracy, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. Um, and I wanted for Christmas or my birthday, like... Like a whole forest, like you know, you would see in like the uh, the commercials for the toys. You would see like yeah. Dick Tracy. Oh, he's got a car and he's going through a city, and then it's like, yeah. oh, that'd be the coolest thing ever. And yeah. my dad was pretty good with like 
building things and i was like dad you should make this for me you should make me a dick tracy city yeah. and then and like i would wake up and i would keep my eyes closed on my birthday and like if i had to go to the bathroom i would avoid like the the big open space in the corner of my room and then i would come back and like have my eyes closed open the door and open my eyes expecting to see the Dick Tracy city that my father somehow maneuvered through the door uh, when I was right. asleep and built the night before. No, no, no. He would build it in the uh, it, and for some I never looked for it beforehand. It was only like that morning. Exactly. Yeah, That's you the feel mind like of a something child. big like that. Uh, you might notice your dad right. working on yeah. it in the garage or something. Yeah. So. Exactly. Okay. So, but like I <coughs> and my mother, I think, was actually the one who pointed this out to me. I would play by myself with action figures. For hours, mm -hmm. like hours upon hours, and it was like intricate. Yeah, like it wasn't like oh, Dick Trace, you're back. I shoot you. Yeah, it was like there were it was like Law and Order. Oh, absolutely. It was like there were interrogations. Yeah, there ha there always was a time like there were a couple different fight scenes, and there was always one where like someone got kidnapped or someone like the the good guys lost and yeah. they had to go back and like oh. regroup. Oh, absolutely. You know, and like so I always had like that sense and it's probably because you know, I saw a couple movies and that's what happened in those and so that's the yeah. the structure I took on, but I was <coughs> I was always 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 interested in both storytelling and performing. Yeah. Uh the performing manifests itself at first uh in the form of doing uh raps to MC Hammer songs. In uh, second and third grade, I was certain that I was going to be a rapper. Oh, absolutely. Because how can I not be? Yeah, it makes sense. It, it really does. So, but then, uh, so that was kind of uh, through about third and fourth grade. And there was actually a moment when I was living in Texas where my brother said, like, because he had moved on. He's only about two. He's your age. Yeah. One day younger, actually. Indeed. Um, I think it shows. It does. It's in the face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he like he wanted to go play basketball, and I was like, no, not right now. I'm busy. And he was like – he was probably maybe uh, – I'd say 12. Maybe I'm 10 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So unacceptable age to still play with action figures. Yeah. Sure. And he was like, he was like why do you still play with those? And I was like, because because I like them. They're, this is these are these are the best thing in the world. And he was like, yeah. no. He's like, if, uh, when you're 18, are you still going to have those and play with them? And I looked him dead in the eye, and I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm always going to play with them. Yeah. And really, to some extent, I still do. Like, I don't get out the action figures. Right. I open up a Word document or, a, you know, whatever, and I, I start writing. But, yeah. like, the idea is the same. The impetus is the same. Yeah. Um, but sort of, I guess, from about fifth grade till ninth grade, um, I still really liked movies. I wrote my first screenplay when I was in eighth grade. Okay, uh, it was it was a the, it was a horror movie. It was after I'd seen I Know What You Did Last Summer. What was it uh, called? Uh, something about the scare a scarecrow. Oh, okay. Scarecrow was the film. <clears throat> okay. Um, but sports really kind of dominated that part of my life. But the real the turning point was actually only a, a few, I guess maybe a month before I met you, mm -hmm. um, in which I had gone to football camp. Right before my sophomore year, yeah. the whole summer. Like, I had gotten up, crack of dawn, gone to the, like, two-a-day camps. It was grueling. My summer was, like, gone. Mm -hmm. And then when the time came to really, like, commit to the team, I didn't. And I, yeah. I didn't want to. Like, I just, I just, there was something that I was like, you know what? I, I can't. Yeah. And he, the coach was like, why not? And I was like, well, I know I have to try out for these plays. 
And he was like, well, you can do both. And I was like, yeah, but it's going to be a lot harder because I also play basketball. So I, I dropped football and really kind of like decided then that even though I loved sports, that like my, my essentially my childhood dream changed mm-hmm. is, is what it amounts to. And from then on, like I was all about acting. I met you and like the movie thing just exploded. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from then on, like I was like, I, I bet you could have asked me when I was 16 years old what I would go to college for, what I wanted to do with my life. No. And it's be involved some way in acting, film, whatever. So, right. um, and it always like it always. The the more I did it, the more I knew that that's what. If you want to talk about a, like a calling on someone's life, I, I I knew that that's that's where I was focused. Like that's where God wanted me. That's where He had put my talents. That's where He had put my desires. Um, and and so that's what I was going to do. Like a lot of people struggled where to go to college. I I took one visit to Central Missouri State University in Warrensburg. I went mm-hmm. there uh, with my theater teacher, and he walked me around the campus, and he kind of you know showed me around a little bit and i was like okay yeah this is it yeah so i never worried where i was gonna get like i just knew you know and it just kind of kind of progressed from there okay so and so uh you did a lot of acting in college i did uh i was the emphasis was mostly uh uh, theater right yeah it was it was performance theater is my degree um did you do any uh anything film related uh in college like as far as classes go yeah, I, I mean, I took, like, you know, the film appreciation class, stuff okay. like that. But then I also took, like, the screenwriting class. Okay. And, like, the final assignment was to turn in, like, the first act of a screenplay. Mm. Instead, I wrote, like, the first 50 pages yeah. of mine. Because I was just like, well, I'm here in this lab with this, you know, writing program. I may as well do all I can. And, of course, anybody who has read, because uh, Jason will also, uh, not so much these days, but uh, has blogged for the website. And uh, for those that, you know, haven't read his blogs, um, you know, you will come to realize when you read him 50 pages, that's the first act. Yeah, that's the first act. You know, he's actually the first scene. (laughs) I don't know if you know this. So I wrote a screenplay like I, I, during college, even though my, my, um, I was, I was performance theater major. I was like a, we, we didn't have a minor. We had a, like a, um, a collateral field since a, okay. a theater major is so all encompassing. Right. And mine was creative writing. By the time I got to like my senior year of college, I knew that it wasn't going to be acting. It was going to be writing. Yeah. Like I knew. Um, and so right, right after I got out of college, I decided I was going to write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a screenplay from like September of 2006 to like May of 2007. Okay. So I finished it. Guess how long it was. Uh, I think you told me at the time, but now I can't recall. I'm going to say 190 pages. Oh, oh, ye of little faith. 250 pages. Two- <laughs> 250 pages. Now, for those that don't know. That's the, stupid. The av- It is stupid, yes. Uh, the average length of a script is is between 90 and 120 pages. Yeah. All right. Uh, the, the idea usually is uh, one page equals one minute of, yeah. of screen time. The three-hour, nine-minute epic Magnolia only clocks in at like 192 pages. Yeah. Yeah. So – and so like I would, I've, I've gone back and read it. There is – there's three uh, – not even supporting characters. Three minor characters. They're in support of a supporting character. Guess how long their introductory scene is? It's 22 pages. Here's the thing is that I I actually do 
I I am impressed by that. I mean, some people say like, well, you gotta, you know, you gotta. The term is, you know, you gotta kill your babies, yeah. you gotta make sacrifices and stuff. And so I I understand that aspect of writing, but at the same time, like telling a story that is truly epic and allowing the characters time to breathe. But and the develop, story's not epic. Oh, okay. It's, well, it's I, called it's called. <laughs> It's not. I don't know if it's lazy writing, but okay. it's it's not good writing either. Oh, okay. Um, you know, uh, n- and not necessarily that the that the scene is bad. It just mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't really go anywhere. It certainly doesn't advance the plot. Okay. It, it it's like twenty two pages to set up one dynamic of the supporting character. Oh, okay. But instead of like instead of just having him do something, I have these three, like, his, like, hooligans do something. Oh, okay. Um, and it's just like, you know, it's almost like it's an okay exercise, but it, it really isn't any... No. It's, it's nothing. It can't be anything more than that. And so no. it's like, you know, it's, it's your first screenplay. You just keep writing and writing and writing. Or you, you know, that was actually my third screenplay, so... I really don't have... <laughs> there's no excuse. One could say there's no excuse. Yeah, oh, yeah. there isn't. No, it's just... It's, it's not smart. It's not good writing. Yeah, but so I think sometimes you you really need to do that, like really see the yeah. kind of test your own limits and, yeah. and that sort of thing, and you know, and and I know that since then, yeah, it's almost like you kind of need to get that, for lack of a better term, that's that self indulgence. Yes, like you need to get it out of your system so that because <laughs> I said yes immediately to self indulgence. <laughs> oh, there's no question, <laughs> uh, because since then, you know, I've I've seen uh, a film that you made, and I've been in another film that you that you made, and uh, and I know that. At all times, you were focusing on getting it tighter, keeping it shorter, mm-hmm. cut, you know, trimming the fat so that it, yeah. it's more effective. And so I, I feel like, you know, you can, you know, the the writing this this long script, um, I, I wouldn't say it was a mistake, certainly. But no. like, but the way in which you wrote it, it's almost like that helped you to realize what you need to be as opposed to maybe what you want to be. Ve- very much so. And it's it's actually not like I hadn't watched the TV show Dexter mm-hmm. whenever I, I wrote this. And it was about. A killer who has like no, who doesn't feel bad about yeah. murdering. Sociopath, I think they call sociopath. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so then, like, as soon as I watched episode one of Dexter, four or five years later, yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, jeez, ah, oh, great. Well, there goes this script. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, oh. and it's and it's not something I would have gone back to anyway. But you're absolutely yeah. right. It was very valuable in learning what sort of my natural inclinations are sometimes, yeah. and. What I need to really kind of uh, discipline myself to not do. Yeah. So yeah. And uh, and we are gonna at some point have Jason back on to discuss uh, writing and like mm-hmm. the what you consider to be good writing, um, yeah. bad writing, and that sort of thing. Um, but that's not what we're talking about right now. No, it isn't. Uh, <clears throat> we spent a while on the introduction, and I'm I'm okay with that because I want people to kind of get to know yeah. you. And so uh, so Did there we is. Explain how I got to L.A. Uh, I came out here after college. I worked for a while in Kansas yeah. City. Made a, a film there. Uh, entitled entitled trailer the movie the the idea of which is what oh jeez this is gonna take forever i'm sorry <laughs> uh there are two actors lee graves who is sort of a bruce willis type mm-hmm. and odin mcneil who's like a young up-and-coming star and somehow they kind of get embroiled in this uh this repartee if you will yeah um and they're like competing with each other for uh a movie role mm-hmm. um but the film is told entirely through the movie trailers of films that they have done, yeah, and like uh, shows like a, like an Entertainment Tonight type show, yeah. a critic show, like it's told entirely through um, public publicly accessible 
yeah. uh, things, and almost, I guess, entirely through media. Well, one could also say the Hollywood publicity machine. Yes, that's tr- that's which, very true. Which actually does, unfortunately, include like critic, you know, it critics' does, TV yeah. shows and stuff. You know, and this was uh, we made it and wrote it right around the time that the not good at the movies was on. Boy, oh boy! Yeah. Um, you <laughs> know, and so that's kind of what the critics were modeled after at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it was a really, it was really, um, I'm very proud of it, uh, even though, you know, the, the budget was very minimal and like, it, mm-hmm. if you watch it, like you can just go up, oh, that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. Yeah. And the, it's completely valid. Like the film doesn't stand up from a technical level, but in terms of like getting a tone, right, getting a story, yeah. just how I wanted, like I, I couldn't be happier with it. So, well, and just in the achievement, you know, because and I co- co-wrote and co-directed it, by the way. Yeah. With, with... My, my roommate, uh, Adam Rebataro. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and speaking as, as somebody who I, I've made a couple of films on my own as well. And, you know, I'm somebody who I've always I always look at my resources and say, OK, given these. Yeah. Uh, I'll write what. Thankfully, yeah. I'm not the most am- I, I was not the most ambitious writer in the first place. But, um, you know, I, I back in school, just my own projects, I was always very constrained by my resources. Yeah. And uh, and much to your yours and Adam's credit, though, as you mentioned, technically, it probably could be a lot better. You refuse to be constrained by your your you know lack of a huge budget you know and yeah. you still managed to secure some really interesting locations and stuff that you don't yeah. you know that that you normally would not expect from this kind of film and exactly. so yeah and and the idea still comes through and the comedy yeah. still comes through and the and uh to a certain extent the the poignance still comes through it, that, so, like yeah so so those are the things that that i can look at and <laughs> and be very proud of like yeah. i look at the technical stuff and i'm like oh why did I put that camera there? Yeah. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I check that? You know, but but there is there is one character in particular who like I look at his performance and I'm just like ah ah it's, it's like it's yeah. it's so sad. Like there's nothing more satisfying yeah. than feeling like you got you gave someone the opportunity to turn in a really good performance. Yeah. So Yeah, it was really there was there's a lot with that film and I really enjoyed it. And you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you that uh you Jason and you the the listener that you know, when you when you grow up uh with friends who all have artistic achie- uh, mm-hmm. aspirations um whether it be they're in a band or they make films or whatever the case may be, you know, you as a friend, you will go see their band perform or you will watch their films or you will read their scripts. And I would say probably about eighty percent of the time, you 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 have to you really have to try to find something good to compliment them on, because they're your friends and you want to support them. But it, it's not that great. And I I know that I've turned out stuff that ultimately I look back and I'm like, ugh, my friends were really nice to me. <laughs> and so, uh, but with trailer, you know, with a couple of exceptions that you and I've talked about, I wound up being like, wow, this this concept was very well uh, executed and and. A lot of things, a lot of the ideas and themes came through, and so I really, really enjoyed it. Well, thank um, you. And you know, wound up having really kind of no no trouble, kind of ignoring some of the technical <laughs> problems. Right. And uh, so yeah, it's 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 a really really great film. And then of course uh, there's your 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 latest opus. Uh, entitled Reservations. Reservations, that's right. Yeah, which, uh, real quick, what's that about, Jason? Uh, it is about a husband and wife. Uh, Tyler plays the husband, mm-hmm. uh, a, a wonderful actress named uh, Stephanie Potter, or Stevie Potter, I believe, as she's uh, actually credited as, plays his wife, and they're going to, they're going to go out to dinner with a friend that the wife has had mm-hmm. much longer than she's known the husband. Yeah. 
Um, and so there's kind of there's there's some awkwardness uh, between the husband and the the old friend. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they've tried to have a, a, a dinner themselves, just the two of them, a, a couple weeks before. And this is sort of the the backstory, the exposition. Mm-hmm. And it did not go well. And so Tyler's character has determined that he is going to bring that up during yeah. this dinner, and he's yeah. going to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, um, it's a comedy. It's very much in the in the the style of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Right. Um, I I actually wrote it as a if you want to get uh let's get let's get uh writing technical get some okay. technical terms out there. I wrote it as a spec script. Oh, okay. Uh, for um Curb Your Enthusiasm, I wrote it with the characters' names being Larry and yeah. Cheryl. Uh, and then and then I changed it and, and tweaked things here and there, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it and it wound up being like it looks and sounds and the performances. I was trying to play small ball with this one because it's mm-hmm. just three characters. It's simple locations, and I, I I'm actually so proud of like the technical achievement of it. Absolutely, um, it's 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 by far the best thing I've done. And it's yeah, and and I was I was in it. I, well, I, I mean, we'll see. It seems like it is right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I, the raw materials uh, are are pretty good. It's it's really it, this is your this is your game to lose. Oh yeah, it is. So I'm um, up by twenty, and there's five minutes left. But uh, which yeah, sport I mean, is that? I don't even, I don't even know. I don't know foosball. Well, um, it's not baseball because there's no time limit, so we know that. That's true. Yeah, it's not hockey because no one scores twenty. That's very true, unless like it's uh, you know like uh, like in that movie Mystery Alaska. Did they score twenty? No. Okay, I was but say. Um, <coughs> but yeah, so uh, so I was in it, and I'm I'm very excited to see see yeah. when it's uh, when it's finished, and perhaps we, we'll give a copy away when yeah. you come back to talk about writing. We've we've got the uh, we've got the footage. We're going we're are planning to begin editing this weekend. All right. So it's very exciting. Very exciting. And we even have our poster concept down. Yeah, that's would, right. Would you like to hear the? Uh, would you like me to unveil what the uh, the tagline is? Sure. Okay. Um, so it's it's uh, reservations. Some people don't have a better half. Oh. <laughs> it applies to all three characters. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I think just, that's funny. I just feel bad as one of the characters, but that's me. Um, yeah. I still. I've. You know. Hey. It's it's taken me. I, I entered this character, and now I can't get rid of him, you know? <laughs> Few can. Is that because he's sitting across from you right now? I'd say that's about right, okay. yeah. Um, all right, well, we've gotten to know you. Uh, you're here in Los Angeles. I and, am. Uh, <coughs> so today what we're – and as Jason mentioned earlier, uh, there will be spoilers yeah. um, in this film for the Coen Brothers film A Serious Man. And uh, I feel like before we get into – the discussion specifically. Uh, here's here's how we got here. Um, Jason and I, uh, ha- as and it should be noted, uh, uh, friend of the show Josh Long, Nathan Potter, Ben C, uh, Sean Richardson. Uh, we're all friends with uh, this guy named Sheldon, who uh, I guess a few weeks ago um, was diagnosed with uh, lymphoma, mm-hmm. uh, which you know uh, I- I'm not really sure what that was, but uh, a form of cancer. Yeah. And um, and it really it really kind of put all of us back on our heels. I'd say probably most notably Sheldon. Um, And uh, it really in our group of friends, we actually uh, knew a guy who we weren't. uh, No one was incredibly close with, but we all got along with him Mm -hmm. uh, named Stephen. And he passed away uh, in what I believe was a hiking accident. Yeah. uh, Back in um, November, I think. 
and um, and so that was that was kind of strange. And now our friend uh, Sheldon uh, has cancer and is currently uh, going through uh, chemo, and um, and it's very strange because he's a young guy. Yeah, uh, he's like twenty four, mm-hmm. and uh, he's just and he's a he's a, a coach, you know, of uh, high, is it high schoolers or middle schoolers? Um, I believe it's middle school. Okay, so he's a he's a coach. He's just you know, and just in general, he's like the nicest guy. Uh, fairly unpretentious. Uh, I would say I, completely unpretentious. Yeah. which around people like like our group of friends, yeah. is sort of a feat. Yeah, it's a breath of fresh air, and uh, and so, but also just a very like a very strong Christian guy that uh, you know could always be counted on to uh, say something. Wise. I mean, there have been times yeah. when he and I would disagree, and he would bring up something, and you, you know, nine times out of ten, I'd be like, "Huh, yeah, I guess that's a pretty good point," you know, and uh, and so, which you know, and he would say it with such with such authority that you're just like, "This is a guy who knows what he believes, and he knows, yeah. and he knows what he's talking about, and he does the proper research and and all that." And I just, we we really like Sheldon a lot, and so for for just such a man to get cancer uh so young especially uh it was really as i mentioned it really did a number on several of us and we really uh it really bothered us and uh <clears throat> being the self-centered person that i am uh i thought well what's what can i do to help and first things first i i lent sheldon a bunch of movies Movies, admittedly, that he asked for. I didn't just say you should watch these. Um, <laughs> the uh, like I do with all my other like friends. My are, life, ex- yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, uh, so I lent him. I lent him a bunch of movies because I figure at some point he's going to be uh, not really able to leave the house. And yeah. uh, so, um, so there was that, and also just in general, I guess just to kind of work certain questions out of my head because anytime something like this happens. Uh, whether it be you lose a job, a relationship ends, you know, a friend or a relative dies, disease, natural disasters, whatever the case yeah. may be, um, you know, certain questions arise regarding uh, the nature of God, uh, like God's sovereignty, like the idea of how much, how much is He willing to like willing to let us go through, mm-hmm. and is it because He doesn't, He can't help us, or He doesn't want to help us? Yeah. One way or another, it can really frustrate you with with yeah. God. And so, um, I'll share a very wrong perspective to have, which is okay. the perspective that I had. Okay, um, like to some extent, like if someone if someone I don't know gets cancer, I can, I can, I can distance myself from it and be like, oh, you know, I I don't know them, nah, maybe they had nothing to live for, you know. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, again, this is this. Is, we're really distancing ourselves. Okay, but does like to see somebody or like if someone's like you know older and then they get cancer, it's like well you know that happens. Yeah, yeah. But for someone who is very young, yeah, and who I have heard speak about like God's plan for his life, like where he feels God right. calling him, God's purpose for him, God's direction for him, mm-hmm. to see someone like that get cancer. For for me, I was like, well, then wait, what is what is all of that stuff that he felt was from God? What is that worth? Yeah, like, and I guess it should, it should, but it shouldn't really matter. But I guess it's worth mentioning he's got the the kind of cancer that it's like ninety percent sure that he will be fine, right? Like, eventually, yeah, yeah, yeah. that it's, like, it's treatable and yeah. and after in like probably a year and a yeah. year's time he'll be 
probably cancer free is what yeah. they're saying. So but that's you, good. You just start thinking like if this guy who seems to have such a clear godly direction from his life, now this thing has happened. And my first thought was, well, that that has derailed it. Yeah. That has like made all of that stuff that God was doing in his life just like like slaps it down. Yeah. When it doesn't and it shouldn't. But that that's how I, like if it happened to me, that's what I would think. Right. Like I would think, well, then why, you know, why, why was I out here to begin with? Why did I, you know, why did you lead me in all of these directions just to give me cancer? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that's the thing is, is that's. <clears throat> the if frustration it's God that give gives cancer right like even the phrasing of it you find yourself saying like okay well did God give me cancer or did he allow me to get cancer exactly and then it's like and well, what's the difference uh, right what's the difference and is there like we say God's benevolent but benevolent uh, there's no benevolence in allowing someone to get cancer there's certainly not any in giving someone cancer no but you know, in your head, you're saying there's no benevolence in letting letting it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's I would say that's that's not necessarily correct, by no. the way. But um, but these are the things that go through your mind, and yeah. so so I, as I said, self centered. I thought, well, what can I do? Well, the only thing I can do, quite literally, aside from lending him movies, the only thing I could do to, which was honestly more for me than for him, was to uh, talk about it on the show. And there was a movie that had been <clears throat> that people had recommended uh, that I talk about for a while, but I didn't really know what to say about mm-hmm. it. Uh, and then finally, I thought, well, you know what? This mo- the themes of this movie kind of have you know have to do with with uh, you know Sheldon's situation. And frankly, I don't know what to think about his situation, and I don't know what to think about this movie. Maybe I'll put them together. Yeah. And so um, so I I decided at that point to talk about a serious man. And uh, even though I, I don't have any real definitive answers about it mm-hmm. uh, from a thematic standpoint. And so um, and then uh, Jason uh, asked if he could come on board. And so here we are. Jason has prepared a statement. Well, well, you see, uh, for, for anyone out there uh, unfortunate enough to also have heard experts and intermediates, you know that when we begin to talk about a thing, be it book, movie, whatever, we like to set it up. We yeah, like yeah. A little setup, And we like. We like to set it up in such a way that it sets the tone for the conversation and also poses an important question that can spur on the discussion. And might give the expectation of a payoff, which I can't guarantee. I can guarantee it won't happen. Oh, okay. All right. Again, the experts in intermediates way. And by the way, uh, thank, thank you for, uh, for sort of uh, humoring me. Oh, no problem. To do this. No problem. I spent... Uh, it takes the pressure off a of man. I'll take that. That's right. It, I, I spent two lunch periods... Uh, at work doing this. All right. Okay. So here is Jason's statement <laughs> about a serious man. By the way, um, uh, I, I titled uh, the. I, I gave my uh, my paper a title here. Would you like to read it? More than one lesson: serious signs of a profound futility. Oddly enough, that was going to be the tagline for the show <laughs> in general. Man, great thing. Great minds think alike. Okay, so here we go. Tyler. There isn't another director or pair of directors working today who are better absurdo-psychological cynical comedians of the cinema than the Coen brothers. One might make the argument for the likes of Alexander Payne, and I might agree, except Mr. Payne hasn't made a feature film in going on six years. So let's go to the highlights. Raising Arizona, Barton Fink, Fargo. 
Big Lebowski. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? In each and every one of these movies, the comedy comes from the trials and obstacles that the Coens allow, nay, inflict upon their characters. And now we have A Serious Man, which is arguably the most down-to-earth, grounded film of their career. Just compare the scale of the story, the aspirations of the characters, and the decisions they make in A Serious Man to those contained in literally every other film these brothers negative have created. And so, my question to you, Tyler, is this. Given that, is this A Serious Man, the Coen brothers at their most serious, about life, about God, about the futility of man? Or did you find that a serious man retained enough of that darkly comedic brilliance that's made the Coens so iconic? Well, I'm winded. All right. I don't know about you, the listener, but I need a nap. I'm exhausted. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm knee deep here. I can't say in what because it's a Christian show. Um, uh, so the question is, do I, do I think that this is their most serious uh, film? Yeah. Um, well, I would say that from a thematic standpoint, probably. Okay. As far as the execution, probably not. Um, because while No Country for Old Men is very funny at times, mm-hmm. uh, I would say it's very, very straightforward uh, in its handling of very serious material. Mm-hmm. Should be noted, of course, it's based on a book. It's based on something they didn't write. And so I feel like I they were... I think I re- realized that. What? They, yeah, that's right. They were up for adapted screenplay. Yeah, yeah. For, uh, yeah, for uh, Cormac McCarthy wrote No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So Wait, I thought you said A Serious Man. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. No, I, I misspoke. Okay, no, no, no. so A Serious Man was original. Serious Man was original. I'm right. sorry. Okay. No Country for Old Men is what I was referring to. Oh, uh, okay. I'm yeah, sorry. Go I'm ahead. sorry. I think I misspoke. Anyway, uh, so No Country for Old Men, I think, is their most straightforward serious film with with uh with some comedy thrown in there mm-hmm. because they just can't help it mm-hmm. um i mean even even their first film blood simple which is very serious and very dark even that that has nice splashes of humor yeah. um but i think from from something that comes inside them mm-hmm. i would say that a serious man is probably their most personal film mm-hmm. um and i'd say it's right up there with fargo because in both both of them both films take place in uh, minnesota so right. obviously they and that's where they're from, so obviously they they feel invested in in that area, and and so, uh, but you look at the you look at the, the optimism of Fargo, and violent though it may be, and yeah. cynical at times. You look at the optimism of Fargo, and you look at the I would say extreme pessimism of a serious man. Mm-hmm. And I think over the course of their career, uh, their careers as as writer directors, I think that they have, uh, I think that they have gotten more cynical as time has gone on. And if you look at their last three films. Mm-hmm. I think they've really started to embrace a certain nihilism. Um, See, and I like like that's the thing. Like, I wonder have they embraced it or are they exploring it? I would say maybe they're exploring it. Um, you know, because like I, I also think Barton Fink to me feels like one of their most cynical pictures, and that was oh, absolutely. way way. I mean, that was before Fargo. That mm-hmm. was before Big Lebowski. Yeah. Those two are really kind of their most optimistic. Which one? Fargo and Fargo and uh, Big Lebowski. Oh, Brother Arthur was pretty. Uh, oh, that's true. pretty upbeat, pretty optimistic. Oh, that's delightful. Um, but uh, no, I I think you're right. I think they I think that they're exploring it. But you know, with with a lot of their other films, that there are certain there are redeeming elements. Yeah. Um, and like with Fargo, 
I think if they were to make that film today, I think I said this on the Criterion cast, if they made that film today, I find myself thinking that Marge Gunderson would be relegated to a much more supporting role yeah. and it would be more from the point of view of Jerry Lundegaard. And Marge, rather than being an opti- a force for optimism and good in the world and in the film, I think she would just be a f- the force of oppression coming down on Jerry and he can't help it. So I think I I feel like if they were to make that film today that's what would happen because mm-hmm. I feel like in their last few films I think they've really em- embraced a certain darkness and explored a certain nihilism that mm-hmm. they've toyed with uh, in the past. But this one especially because uh the Coens are Jewish and they um they've you know that that has played a big role <clears throat> Uh, Judaism and most certainly anti-Semitism in films like you know Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I think they feel a, a strong connection to at the very least the cultural aspect of their Judaism. Um, but this one, I mean, I remember when I first saw it, and you and I watched it the other day, mm-hmm. uh, at which and I liked it a lot more the second time. But uh, when I first saw it, I remember thinking like, this is really like. Not necessarily condemning, but like this is pretty scathing. Uh, I think they really have a difficult. I, I I really think that they are not fans of cultural Judaism, if Judaism itself, uh, right. anymore. And do you think like, I mean, I guess it's sort of our speculation. Is 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 Judaism to stand in for organized religion in this in this film? I would say yes, and I, and one could say even disorganized religion. I would mm-hmm. say just the idea of God in general, the mm-hmm. idea, uh, most specifically, a benevolent God. Right. Um, and and that's the thing is, it occurs to me we've not actually even talked about what the film is about. Go ahead. Um, it is about a a professor in uh, I would say this it's the '60s, right? Um, a professor in Minnesota named uh, Larry Gop- Gopnik, played by Michael Stulbarg. Stuhlbarg? Stuhlbarg. Stuhlbarg. Um, and basically, he's just, uh, he's married, has a couple of kids. And it's it's really, there's not a lot of story thrust. It's just a, a, a lot of uh, small, some small and some not so small events happening to him. And after a while, they start to lead to a general feeling of panic within him. Right. Uh, his wife is leaving him. His son is going to be uh, bar mitzvahed. Uh, that's a good thing. But, uh, yeah. you know, he's... He's uh, his brother is in all kind. Seems to be getting in all kind of legal trouble, um, <clears throat> and, and has like a thing on the back of his of yeah. his neck, like has, he has like assist. health issues. Yeah, yeah as a cyst. And so, um, and then uh, he's he's up for tenure, and he's not really sure if he's going to get it because somebody's writing in these letters talking about how he shouldn't, how he's a, a bad person or whatever. Um, there's a student that he gave an F to that's trying to bribe him. Um, and so, again, all these things, I mean, your wife leaving you is a big deal, but all these things, some of them aren't that big of a deal. Oh, and then also, uh, his son signed him up for the, uh, this Columbia Records Club, yeah. and now he owes them money, and he keeps getting calls from them. <coughs> and, uh, and so throughout it all, it, he really, it all adds up to just this sense of what he thought was for sure, which was his marriage, him getting tenure, all these things, uh, all of a sudden he's starting to see the the seams and he's starting yeah. to see the cracks and uh but again it's nothing incredibly dramatic mm-hmm. uh it, you know it, nothing that will destroy his life right um as certainly i mean again his wife leaving him is a big deal but the way it's handled certainly seems like it's just as big of a deal as the guy calling from Columbia Records right and so um, well and it's and that's that's because of i i think what is sort of the the arc or reverse arc of mm. of the character in the story, 
like when when he when he actually speaks to the guy from Columbia Records, like think of how many things have gone wrong for him. Mm-hmm. Like the movie kind of kind of track you you you're clearly with Larry. Like it is told from his point of view with like yeah. one small exception in in the narrative. Yeah. Um. But and and so yeah, it's like these things are starting to happen, and it's it's almost like for the first time he's starting to have some real questions that he wants yeah. answered. So he seeks some advice from from uh, a rabbi. Gets yeah. shifted off to the junior rabbi. Yeah, in what in a hilarious scene. In a hilarious scene, but doesn't get the, does does not get the answers he's looking for. No, not at all. And so that makes him a little bit more desperate. Yeah. And then he goes to another rabbi, the rabbi he wanted to see. And so, okay, thank goodness. And the rabbi tells him this story. And he's sure that, like, this story is going to lead him to these answers. It's going to lead him to some sort of understanding of why he's going through what he's going through and what the purpose of it is. Yeah. And then he, the guy gets – the rabbi gets to the end of the story and he says, okay, well, what, so, so what did you tell him? What did you tell him was, was the answer? And he said, have you been listening? That's a, that just that doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah. So it's like at every turn, every time he tries to get an answer from from what the film is is using as its um as its uh sort of stand in for organized religion or religion in general. Yeah. He gets sort of the runaround. He gets he he essentially gets told, "Listen, you're going to have to ask the boss. I don't know." Right. He keeps getting yeah, the the buck keeps getting passed. However, the way in which it, it's interesting because it gets passed in a way where the people, the, you know, the the various rabbis passing the buck on to the to the the more you know the elder rabbi, yeah. um, <clears throat> every time they do it, they never really say, "I don't know," or they don't say, "I don't know" in any kind of that's substantial tr- way. They always say it. They, they always say, uh, "Well, you should talk to him. He's very wise." But they still say. They still speak very definitively, and so that just look at the parking just lot. At, just look at that parking lot. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. They always yeah. they always pass the buck, like the, the or he sees them as passing the buck, but they're yeah. talking to him as if they've just told him the answer. Absolutely, they've just told him all he needs to know. And when somebody, I mean, anybody who watches Lost knows this: that uh, when you're looking for an answer and all you get is eight more questions, uh, yeah. but but the thing giving you the questions acts as if it gave you a big answer. Uh, that can be more frustrating. And in the in the case of like a life philosophy, yeah, something that's supposed to help you get through this life, that can that can cause way more panic and way more anxiety mm-hmm. because this and, is the thing that I'm hostility. hanging Yeah, this is the thing that I'm hanging my hat on and there's nothing there. Right. You know, or so it would appear. Right. Um and, and so, again, right now we're sort of talking from the perspective of this film. Yeah, yeah. I think eventually we're going to try to see if there's if there is something more than that to the film. Yeah. Um and I will say uh you know, spoilers uh right now is that as the as the film goes on um, and, and as it starts to wrap up uh, a little bit, or so it would seem, um, it, it looks as if his his wife and he are going to uh, patch things up to a certain extent. Like she yeah. she apologizes for what, but why? <laughs> because her lover has died. Yeah, um, and so and because and, and so they're at their son's bar mitzvah, and the pride that they both feel about that, and mm-hmm. I think. You know, his wife maybe starts to come to her senses a little bit, um, and, and maybe they're not necessarily going to be. Maybe they're not going to be okay. But it, the the tone of the divorce is. It looks like it's going to be a little more civil. 
than yeah, it was it, previously. It, it looks to have eva- the hostility seems to have evaporated. Right. So that doesn't she like put her? Yeah, hand, she puts yeah. her hand on his arm, and he puts his hand uh, on hers, and and she says, "I'm sorry about everything, you know, that's been going on." And he says, "It's okay." And so it seems very conciliatory, mm-hmm. and uh, and it looks like he's going to get tenure. So all these all these small crises are are starting to wrap up in his favor. Yeah. Um, however. <laughs> just when just when things are starting to look, hey, all right, all these little things, everything's working, everything's coming up. Larry Gopnik, um, the uh, he gets a call from his doctor, and you see him at the very beginning. He's getting a physical, yeah, uh, and doctor says everything looks fine. Then all of a sudden, the doc he gets a call from his doctor. They don't spell out what's going on, but his doctor says, "I need you to come in right now. I'll clear some time." He says, well, can you tell me what's going on? I was like, eh, probably better I tell you in, perp- yeah. uh, in person, which pretty much means bad news. Yes. And so, um, so there's that. And then all, the very last shot of the film is uh, his son. Um, at, there's, <clears throat> they're evacuating the school uh, because there's a tornado warning. And you see his, st- his son standing on the playground and the tornado is forming and it's coming straight for the school. Yeah. Smash cut to black. Yeah. And... Uh, and the Im- implication is like, yeah, you thought these crises were bad. Just you wait until you get hit with cancer and your son is probably killed. Yeah. That's the implication, though. That's true. Is is everything... Okay, so let's... Uh, at, at least to sort of get our get our heads around it. Is every... Mm-hmm. All of the crises in the film, are they... They are... If you want to talk like sort of basics of drama, they are man versus man or man versus self. Like he's uh, I the would crises. Say so. I mean, I suppose you could say he has a crisis of faith to some extent, but it's really like, what am I going to do about my divorce? What am I going to yeah, do yeah. about about tenure, my brother? About, about tenure? About yeah. the bribe? Yeah, these it's all, very these almost tangible things. Yeah, and then at the end, it's sort of like this movie is like this is the prequel, right? This is yeah. part one. Now we've got something that is a literally a force of nature yeah. and something very much outside of, of human total totally outside of human control yeah. in disease. So yeah. you got natural disasters and disease being yeah. being brought in. Yeah. And that's when the film decides to cut. Yeah. Which is I mean is so very, very um I would say pessimistic. Um yeah. and, and people have I would say rightly compared the story of Larry to the story of Job uh in the Bible. Um, in See, that, that's where I, okay, <clears throat> go ahead. Well, it, just in the sense of a lot of things happening to this guy who seemingly doesn't deserve them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I won't even say seemingly. I'd say he doesn't deserve to get cancer or his son to die. Um, but also just the idea that uh, just one thing on top of another, and mm-hmm. it'll on, and it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. Right. Um, and just and the the fact that he's that he turns. He turns to what he knows, which is God and religion. Um, so he turns to that for comfort and and goes to three, in this case it's rabbis, but three friends, basically, right. uh, for advice. And each each bit of advice is even more annoying than the last and unhelpful yeah. until finally the guy who everyone says will figure will solve it all refuses to even see him because yeah. he's busy thinking. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and then when we do hear that guy speak... He says nothing of any import. Yeah, I mean he he does he does talk about Jefferson Airplane. That's true, he does. So, which I guess you know it depends on how important you find Jefferson Airplane to be. I find it to be very important. It's it certainly is. Well, yeah. I mean the the lyrics of that song are sort of like, yeah, they're sort of the opposite of uh, yeah of of the idea of the film. What okay? What are the lyrics? What's like the chorus? 
Well, the the part that that he says is when the truth is found to be lies, mm-hmm. and all the now I I don't know the song incredibly well, but I always thought all the joy within you dies. But he says when all the hope within you dies, which makes me wonder that perhaps I'm wrong, um, because you know Grace Slick's vocals are not always the clearest. Yeah. So maybe I don't. Maybe I'm I'm completely wrong, and it's and it's in fact hope. So. You know, when the truth is found to be lies and all the hope within you dies. Yeah. And those are the two things that he says. And then he starts listing off the members of the band. Right. So, which is kind of funny in and of itself. But those two lyrics are very, I think, very key from a thematic standpoint. Right. But I can't even think of what is the, what's the song he's listening to at the beginning? What is the song? It's uh, Don't that. You Want Somebody to Love. Right. That's yeah. Thank you. Jeez. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that was the basic question you yeah. were asking. Um, and so... So yeah, it's it's really and what's interesting is that uh, when when the rabbi does say this, not to Larry, incidentally, he says it to Larry's son, right? Um, and then he gives Larry's son back uh, his portable radio that uh, that uh, a teacher took uh, earlier in the film. First thing, yeah, as as being a distraction, as being you know uh, you're not allowed to have this, <clears throat> and so you know the rabbi, the wise rabbi giving it back and through quoting the lyrics and talking about Jefferson Air- Jefferson airplane shows that he there in his view, there's probably nothing wrong with any of this. Right. I don't know it, that in itself, like the institution says you're not allowed to have this. And then the wise character says, go right ahead. It really doesn't matter. Right. When the truth is found to be lies, eh, really you just want somebody to love. Right. And so, um, so I think, I think the film really does, I thought when I first saw that it was incredibly anti-religion and anti-God, and one could still make that argument, certainly. I think could make that argument effectively. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, convincingly. Yeah. Uh, and so um, so I think, I think the film maybe is not necessarily purely anti-religion or purely anti-God, because that's almost too simple a position for the Coens to take. It almost, it, it almost is. It almost seems to, to view things in some way... Only on the surface, it seems. It yeah. seems to be a very, a very shallow movie, if that's what it's saying. Yeah. Um, now, uh, in in my sort of thinking about the film, um, I, I kind of get past that, but then in some ways come back to it. And I, I, oh, yeah. I really, I'm kind of with you. I don't quite know where I, where I stand on this movie mm-hmm. in terms of like. Like, do I think it's very funny? Yes. Yeah. Do I think it's well-acted, well-made, all of those things that a good film should be? Yes. Yeah. Do I think it is a good film in the sense that do I think it is a right film? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, but okay, let me, let me ask you this. It's a, it's, I'm, I'm setting the ball on the tee. You've got, you've got a Louisville slugger. You're going to hit it out of the park. Oh, okay. What is the I one, was very bad at tee ball. What is the one line Larry Gopnik says throughout the film? I didn't do anything. I haven't, I haven't done, done anything. anything. Yeah. And he says it in in every way that, that he can mean it. He he yeah. means it in that he says it at some point where someone's like, oh, no, you like with his wife. She's saying, you know, things have been going bad for, for a long time. We've talked about this. And he's saying, I haven't done anything like I yeah. haven't done anything to make you not love me anymore. Yeah. Uh, he says it when the Columbia record guy calls him. He's saying, I haven't done anything. And, and the yeah. guy says, that's right. You don't do anything, and that means that you get another record. And right. he says, how can that be? I haven't done anything. No. He's like, you don't have to do anything. It just happens. Yeah. Uh, which can sort of be a, a bit of a metaphor. Yeah. But then also, 
uh, his the 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 guy who his friend on the tenure committee says, yeah. you know, so this this would be the time if you have any uh, outside papers, if you've published anything, uh, you know, this would be the time to submit it. And he says, I, I haven't done anything. Yeah. And so it is literally I, I take this film to be sort of um, uh, sort of akin to uh, Matthew 25 or I'm sorry, Revelation. Uh, no. Yeah. Matthew 25, 14. The, um, 25, 14 through 30 is the parable of the talents okay. uh, in which uh, a master gives five. There's three servants. Master gives five talents to one of them, two to the next and one mm-hmm. to the third uh, servant. Mm-hmm. So he goes away. He comes back. The servant who he gave five to has, uh, you know, invested it wisely. And now he has 10. Yeah. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, the guy who had two, he now has four, did the same thing. And so even though he doesn't have as – even though his return wasn't as big, I mean percentage-wise it was, right. but the master says the exact same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. The guy who had one, he said, listen, I was worried. I know you know, this is – you gave me something, so I just, I just buried it and hid it. Mm-hmm. In a sense, I haven't done anything. Right. And the master says – like kicks him out. Yeah. And and the Bible says I like, get through him into out into the darkness. Yeah. Um and to a certain extent I feel like uh the uh, I feel like it's not too much of a stretch for the Cohen brothers to be saying that they really sort of disapprove of the way he's lived his life. On the surface it yeah. seems like you know he certainly hasn't done anything wrong. Well has he done anything right? Yeah. Think of the second time we watched this I was really noticing the way that they structure their scenes to support this idea, which is whenever his wife comes to uh, talk about the divorce, they don't ever they don't ever talk about anything that's going on between them. Yeah, he never brings it up. He just says, "I haven't done anything," and she says, "Larry, it's been going on for a while." And like she gets fed up and walks out. Yeah, because he won't engage. Yeah, he won't engage in the conversation. Yeah, um, what really has he done? In, in regard to seeking the answers. Mm-hmm. He's gone to someone else and said, tell me the answer. Yeah. So he hasn't done anything to seek the answer. He sat down and said, I'm all ears. Give me an A. He's yeah. essentially done what his, his student has done. <coughs> yeah. You know, um, and it's also interesting that the philosophy he espouses as a teacher, he does not support as a person. Yeah. As a teacher, there... Uh, I forget if it's the uncertainty principle. Yeah. Um, we can't know anything. So yeah. yeah, uncertainty. We don't know if there is a cat or if there's not a cat. Yeah. Um, but he said that, but that's, he said, I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know if there's a cat. Yeah. But the, the, the real magic is in the math. The math is what, where everything kind of happens. Yeah. And so his point of view is that it's not about whether or not there, we can know anything for certain. It's that we have these systems in place mm-hmm. that can, that can give us some comfort. Yeah. Um, but he refuses to, ex- and that, I mean, I don't, I'm, I, I don't support that idea mm-hmm. as a philosophy, but he refuses to accept that when it comes to him. Yeah. What? I'm sorry, what? You keep looking up. Oh, okay. Ceiling. No, I'm sorry. I keep uh, focusing Looking on... toward God? Absolutely. Yes. But so I, I think that that's, that that's interesting. And there's, there's a sort of hypocrisy there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he, he hasn't done anything. He's not seeking the answers, but he's telling everybody else. He te- What does he tell the student? In this office, there are consequences. Yeah. You know, he sets up like he's very rigid with that student. I mean, yeah. maybe that student, you know, did deserve the F, but 
really you won't even let him like retake a test and study a little bit more for it yeah. and maybe allow him to be bumped up to a C. Like yeah. so he's very rigid, but then gets frustrated more and more and more when the world treats him that way. Well, yeah, and and to keep to keep the uh, the metaphor going of of the student, the student says, "I didn't realize that we were going to need to know the math. I understand the cat stuff." Yeah, and as you mentioned, he says, "Well, the cat is there just there as an illustration. Even I don't understand the cat." Yeah, and he's you know, which is an amusing line, but also, you know, it it basically says like. Well, how could you have not known that the math was going to be on this? That's what it's all about. Have you missed yeah. the point completely? Mm-hmm. That's the essence of physics. Mm-hmm. You know, to get, you know, to get distracted by the window dressing right. of this cat analogy, you know, that's to miss the point entirely and and to just kind of ref- a refusal to actively engage in what in the, the process the, and the meat, like the yeah. meat of what it is. And so to hi- to have him like yeah, like he he ha- he di- hasn't done anything, and he's a perfectly I'm sure he's a perfectly nice man, but he you know he hasn't written any papers, he hasn't engaged with his wife, he hasn't really done anything, and and so to me because I think we also need to be careful as we you know in in discussing the parable of the talents that um in and also in rela- like <coughs> excuse me comparing it to this film we need to be careful that we're not saying well he brought this all you know right. he brought this all on himself yeah. god is killing his is going to kill his son because he didn't do anything right but what i will say is and you'll find it in job as well the idea of job questioning god mm-hmm. like defiantly which you know there's nothing necessarily wrong with by the way right and god saying like look what right do you have to do this which which inherently because we are people we look at that and it's just like what do you mean what right do i have i jo- you know job is a human who got screwed over and yeah. over again and and larry is a is a guy who got screwed over and over again and so he's just he's questioning defiantly being and demanding answers when he's never looked for answers you know right. what I mean? and, and, and so, that to me is the difference between him and job is job right. is like Job is constantly thinking through everything and he's constantly coming to the conclusion right. that if god wants to do this i guess he can yeah and who like he he keeps questioning and yeah. like he keeps going in a cycle with Larry it is literally one direction it is yeah. only why aren't you giving me the answer it's yeah. never what should i be doing to find the answer myself yeah um so that it like cuz uh, we both really love job like that i mean that's mm-hmm. one of my that's one of the books of the bible that speaks to me uh the most or has has in yeah. the past uh and so like that aspect that is missing from Larry always kind of kind of bothered me. Yeah. Um, but but and and I don't know to what extent it's it's supposed to be just just Job. Um, but now one one thing I was thinking in relation to sort of the whole thing that the, the film as a whole is um, he so he doesn't really he's not taking any responsibility for his life right and for the things that have to do with so, things that he can control. Mm-hmm. And so the film could I, – I, I certainly don't think that it is only saying this, but I think there is a part of it that is also about if you won't take any responsibility for the things in your life that you can control, mm-hmm. what are you going to do when something like disease or something you have no control – like how are you going to react when something you can't control comes along? Right. You know, if you won't even take – if you won't take responsibility for things you can control, then how much of a mess are you going to be when you can't control the situation? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and to incorporate that into like the idea of your relationship with God, you know, basically it's like, oh, okay, so you have no use for God when things are going well. Yeah. And you won't seek him 
where he's at. You won't try to determine his will for your life. You're, you're content to just sit back and just let things happen yeah. and not do anything. Yeah, very But much. only when things go badly do you demand answers. Do you, you know, are you angry? And, it's, and it is kind of a, you know, a, again, like, I, I don't want to make it seem as if people who are, you know, misfor- you know uh, mi- who fall upon misfortune... Um, unfortune. That's that's what I should have said. That's not true. That's not the real that's word. That's a disfortunate use of words. There you go. Choice. It's malfortunate. So, um, but like, I mean, I understand that. Like, when I I definitely understand. Uh, I, I was hoping to uh, get through an entire episode in which I don't talk about my dad, but this certainly was not the episode. Um, <laughs> but like, but you know, I mean, I understand that. Like, when crap happens to you, you're just like, yeah. Why did this happen to me? Yeah. And and all the academic, all the academic stuff that we are saying, as it's like, well, you shouldn't, you can't question God. You don't have the authority to question God. And what did you do to avoid this? Could you have done anything? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. It's not going to be a comfort. No, very little is going to be a comfort. I would right. say. Right. And 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 I don't think that we that that we as Christians serve a God who who scoffs at our questions. Right. You know, we we serve a God like. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the Bible is um, when Lazarus dies. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many different depictions of grief. Yeah. In that, in that section of the Bible, it's really, it's really amazing. And one of them is to just question. Yeah. You know, and you you will eventually come around to like, okay, you know, or or the the, the character in the Bible does to like, okay, you know, I understand that's not you know that's not going to get me anywhere. But that's my knee-jerk reaction. And the Bible yeah. does not condemn that reaction. Not at all. Yeah, because it's... I would say, like, any... as This, this is a, a broad statement, by the way. <laughs> uh, I feel like any reaction that you have to adverse conditions, good conditions, any reaction that causes you to turn to God, mm-hmm. even if you're angry at him, yeah. I think that is good it's a good instinct because yeah. you can only turn to God so much before you will find comfort yeah. from his stability mm-hmm. even if even if you know I mean I'm always concerned about my wife dying and if that happens I'm going to probably be very very angry uh, at God but God will also be the source of my comfort right and so and that's that's the weird paradox that you will mm-hmm. find comfort from the thing that in your own mind in that moment you're thinking refused to help you and easily could have right you start and you, you start out absolutely blaming god right you know and cuz it's sort of like what we talked about at the beginning mm-hmm. in, in your mind you know logically he could have stopped this right you know uh, and so that that to us seems like well because I want it stopped that means that it should have been stopped yeah uh, you know and uh, yeah sure I understand that you know we live in a fallen world and there are just things things happen yeah uh, you know but that and that's fine for everybody else but when it comes to me then you know that's that's yeah. where that's where that sort of behavior stops and God better just do what I like yeah and it and it really it can come down to and again if you are listening. And you and you're going through something right now, or whatever the case may be, and you're getting upset with us, possibly rightfully so, because we maybe we're being a little too dismissive of your of your mindset. Um, and I apologize; I don't want it to seem like that. But what I will say is, you know, it, it's fascinating. As I mentioned on a, on the show, uh, I don't know which episode. Um, I was always worried that Jen was going to get in a car accident and die. 
That it's just it's always a concern because well she doesn't have any health problems so if she's going to right. die it'll probably be something like that if she were to die right now that's a concern of mine right um, well she did get in a car accident yeah. last August somebody smashed right into her and it was pretty it was pretty rough totaled the car Jen was fine she had no health issues mm. and I thanked God for that um, but maybe I but I would say I didn't thank him enough and I'm not saying so he will punish me I'm right. not saying that but what it's it's interesting is when things go bad, all of a sudden we forget all the times that they didn't go bad. Right. Or when God actually did intervene. Right. You know, and just because as humans, when things are going as, you know, much like Larry, uh, when things are going well, out of sight, out of mind, you know. Right. Uh, and you're and you're perfectly happy to accept the blessings that God right. has given you. But only when things go bad, you're like, oh, come on. Right. And, and I want to I want to kind of. Uh, continue along the thought of if someone is happens to be listening has mm-hmm. gotten this far in the episode oh yeah um <laughs> and, and and is going through something like that and maybe maybe they are a little angry at god yeah uh yeah i i, I completely agree i don't want it to seem like we're, we're being dismissive that's me mm-hmm. that's me when something goes wrong when something went wrong with sheldon uh i i couldn't be around him for a little while and couldn't speak to him yeah because i would have been the guy going you're saying things that shouldn't be said out loud to the person it happened to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like essentially putting that in his mind. Like I yeah. needed to just like I was angry. Yeah. And I was very confused and frustrated. Um and and again, that's that's okay. Yeah. Like it's it's okay and it is it is not unhealthy to feel that and to go through that. Right. Um so I certainly don't want to make it yeah. seem like we're being we're being glib about it. Yeah. That is something that I personally that's me. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is all me. And, you know, sort of in hindsight, I can, uh, you know, I, I, I make light of it about myself a little bit, you yeah. know, but but I'm certainly not trying to be, uh, to, to, to scoff at anybody else who's, who's going through that. Right. And and what I will say, and this will, I think, perhaps move us into the, into the companion film, uh, unless, of course, you've got more things to say. I have one more big thing to say. Okay. Say it, and then I'll say this. Well, don't spray it. Though. I'm sorry. I have two things. To two say. things to say. Uh, I I think there is a way. We've been talking about like uh, how Larry says I haven't done anything, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you, we we don't need to necessarily. That doesn't necessarily. It's not about deserve. If you want to bring in Unforgiven, right, right. It's it's not <laughs> that. Oh, if Larry had tried to do something, this wouldn't be happening. No. It's really it's not about whether the thing happens or doesn't happen. Right. It's about the reaction to it. Like that right. it, it is about getting through that. It's it's assuming that whether he is a good or bad person, this something like this is going to eventually happen to him. Yeah. And what are you going to do when it does? I right. mean, it's sort of you know, to go epic sort of an epic scale on it like that that's the moment in the first lord of the rings film mm-hmm. you know when when frodo is talking to gandalf in the caves and he's like i wish this hadn't come to me and it's like well that's not the point yeah the point you know this did happen you don't have the choice of whether this happens or doesn't happen but you've got to decide what you're going to do with it yeah uh and you know how you're going to get through it yeah um and if you just stay in a place you know that that is angry at god and and is frustrated then you're probably not going to get through it, and you're probably going to dwell on it more than you should. Mm. And guess what? I've done that too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and it it leads it leads to bitterness, and it leads to resentment yeah. uh, at yourself, at God, um, at people who have it better than you, of course. At, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and and it it really makes the journey back a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. But so so that I think is a very important point to make. It's not necessarily the film isn't about whether Larry did something to bring this upon himself. Right. Um, it's more about his reaction. But do you think that the Cohen brothers, not in their theme for the film, but in the way that they view their characters, are are they cruel to their characters? In that, do they place themselves in a position above their characters, looking down, scoffing at them? Uh, you mean in this film or in general? In uh, both, but most okay. specifically in this film. Uh, I would say, uh, I would say to a certain extent, yes. Um, I think so too. Uh, I, I know that sounds that sounds terrible, especially considering how much I do love them as filmmakers. Um, <clears throat> that uh, and and they've done it. They've done it in a lot of films in their career where there will be a character who's just just an animal or just yeah. like the the way the character views himself, the way the character views others, and you're just like they're just grotesque. Yeah. They're caricatures of people. Mm-hmm. Um and I would say this one especially, I mean people have said that the film is anti Semitic. Uh, it's like, well the character uh, the Coens themselves are are Jewish. Yeah. So I don't know if that's possible, but I think probably it is because there are a lot of you know, think of like all the negative Jewish stereotypes. You'll find them all in this in yeah. this film, and uh, and so I think I think uh, they take a certain, you know, I, I mean maybe they feel like in their lives that they've met people like this. Perhaps they actually have, um, but I, I think I think yeah, at times I think they are a little, uh, it, it, at best, a little condescending uh, to their characters. Yeah. Um, I. I th- I think that they are in this film as well, and mm. I think that's the thing that, like, as as I was thinking about this, especially after we watched it again, I was thinking it beforehand, and I really tried to put it out of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but and and I'll I'll use the example, and this can certainly get us into into signs. Okay. Um, I feel like to sort of to to bring up a point or a, a phrase that I intentionally used at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um. I feel like they are lacking the sort of like profound hopelessness yeah. that needs to be there. Like they're sort of the hopelessness is almost they're almost making a joke out of it. They're they're almost yeah. laughing at it, at the hopelessness of their characters. Whereas if you look at Tommy Lee Jones's character in No Country for Old Men, yeah. he feels so hopeless and so lost. Yeah. And the Cohen brothers seem to feel that right along with him, right? And right. they f- they seem, and, and and there is there is a togetherness in that, yeah. In feeling like things are helpless sometimes, or or feeling like you just cannot understand things sometimes, yeah. And his final monologue when he's just sitting there and he's trying to make sense of this dream, and in making sense of the dream, making sense of everything that has happened, yeah. Uh, throughout the course of this film. There, there is a pervasive sadness to that moment. Oh yeah, that is also really sort of, sort of wonderful, um, and is very like it just it it gets you in a very deep and personal and powerful way that I that I think is missing from from this film. Yeah, I mean, uh, for as much as I say, like in their, <coughs> excuse me, in their previous films. Um, that there will be a character or two that's a little, as I say, grotesque, kind of a caricature. Uh, there will almost always be one or two or sometimes three characters that they take very seriously. You look at Marge's monologue at the end of Fargo, 
uh, at the end of Fargo, and then you look at the last shot of the film, which is yeah. her and Norm laying together. They take that completely seriously. Yeah, and they are they are very much on the level of their characters. Um, whereas in this, I mean, you mentioned how they kind of make a joke out of the out of Larry's hopelessness. Um, I mean, think about there's a scene where he's with his lawyer and he starts crying, and it really seems to be played for for laughs because of yeah. the way he's crying. The way he's crying is so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and it and it frustrates you, and it really makes. And that's the thing is the the way they treat their characters' plight in this film. Right. It really makes you wonder if they if they think like, well, this is what you get for putting your faith in this ridiculous thing. Right. And to me, it it feels a little less specifically anti-Semitic and a, and more just generally misanthropic. Uh, possibly, I mean, I think yeah. I think the 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 Judaism is there because that's sort of their own their own selves in it. Right. Um, I think they, they, you know, they write what they know. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's why this particular system is there. I think, you know, if it was, you know, a Christian family and, uh, you know, uh, pastors speaking instead of rabbis, I think probably the same case could be made that, oh, well, that's, it seems like an anti-Christian film. Right. You know, I, I, I really think it's more negative about humanity. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and that that's the thing is that's why, you know, you and I said that uh, the film is it, it it's almost too simple uh to say that the film is anti-religion. Like, yeah. I think they're bigger than that. I think they yeah. I think they they're aiming higher than that. Yeah. Um yeah, and uh <coughs> so I'll I'll They're thinking uh, globally. Absolutely. Oh, if not universally. Oh, yeah. Um and so the uh what I will say real quick though, um Galactically. Will, what was that? Galactically. I think, yeah. Also, universally is bigger than galactically. Not if, not if there's a galaxy of universes. <sighs> he went into the British voice. I was really hoping he wouldn't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, okay, go ahead. But what I will say, and this will get us into the into the other film, which we unfortunately can't talk much about because of time. Um, Drat. We'll take a break. Excellent. But uh, the one of the things that that you know uh, people will ask is why. Mm-hmm. Why does God? Why did God make this happen? Which, by the way, as this is this, there's there's some debate in the Christian community about uh, God making something happen and God letting something happen. Uh, I fall into the camp of God letting things happen, um, and uh, as do I. Yeah, and why does God? Why does God let these things happen? Why did God let Sheldon get cancer? Why did mm-hmm. Why did God let my father die? Why does God let somebody get laid off when they need the money? You know, right. there's any number of things. Uh, the answer is I don't know. Um, there are several possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, one could say that you know uh, God let it happen because uh, He knows that the person can handle it, and in their handling of it, it is a witness and a testimony to the people around them. That's one possibility. From what I hear regarding Sheldon's reaction to his situation, uh, the like the nurses, the other patients are uh, astounded by how yeah. positive he is. Now, of course, he's still in the early stages of chemo. As time goes on, he will, I would say, understandably, probably get a little more negative. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, just his attitude has been such a comfort uh, to everybody, including you and I. Mm-hmm. And so... You never really know. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up. Uh, you know, uh, a year and a half after my dad passed away, my roommate's dad passed away. Right. And he was asking me questions that I asked. And I was in a position, he didn't really know anybody else that had lost somebody. And I was in a position 
to be able to say things that I knew he needed to hear. Uh, and so I'm not sure, I'm not saying that God let my dad die because I could be a comfort to somebody else. Um, I'm saying that God can use things to bring about, can use bad things to bring about good things. But ultimately as to the basic reason why he intervenes on for one thing and doesn't for another, uh, there is no easy answer. Uh, and, and anybody who says there is an easy answer is, uh, they probably are struggling with this themselves and are really wanting to believe that there's an easy answer. Yeah. And uh, there isn't one. No, there's not. So, uh, but as for the idea of God letting things happen and the reason and why, um, that's something that we'll get into when we talk about our companion film, which is Signs, but we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. So, um, we, I'm sorry, I should have asked you if you were ready. Oh, I'm always ready. Okay. Um, so, we, uh, the companion film for um, A Serious Man uh, today is going to be Signs. came out in 2002. Yes. Uh, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, uh, starring Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Rory Culkin, and Abigail Breslin. You know it. Uh, but before we get into that, Jason has another thing to read. Here we go. All right. <clears throat> I remember it well, Tyler. Walking into M. Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water, having defended the film sight unseen the previous two weeks to people who claimed it looked like a terrible plot about some fish woman. And my defense was this. M. Night Shyamalan doesn't make movies about a plot. He makes movies with very familiar plots and turns them on their heads to focus on his characters. Think of it. A ghost story where the main character is not only a ghost himself, but isn't trying to kill anyone. A superhero origin story masquerading as a kitchen sink drama about a divorced husband and wife's difficulty reconciling as their son acts out. And then, in 2002, an alien invasion movie in which we rarely leave the rural home of our four main characters and never, neither see the big alien spacecraft, nor even once get to hear Will Smith say welcome to Earth. Now, Lady in the Water was a bad movie, in my opinion, outdone or underdone by the even more pitiful The Happening from a couple years back. But, Tyler, I ask you, was M. Night Shyamalan's Signs, the intimate, moving story of a family struggling with grief grief, who are forced to confront the past by their close encounters with E.T.? Or is this the first case where we, the audience, should have seen the writing on the wall, the signs of Shyamalan's swift decline? Oh my gosh! This is this is a mistake. Uh, I, 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 I would say the former. <laughs> and why? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you're absolutely right uh, in your in your assessment of uh, of the film that uh, you know it's you know this is a global invasion yeah. uh, by aliens. Uh, and we've seen that because most other directors would be content to be like, well, this is happening on a global scale. That means it's an epic, and so I will treat it as such. Yeah. Do you uh, remember the part where Mel Gibson says, kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy? Me either. Hmm. I think it was in there, though. Mm, I think you have a bad scene. memory. Oh, there we go. Um, so uh, you're, of course, making reference to Harry Connick Jr. and Copycat. Um <laughs> Favorite favorite game to play. So, uh, 
very pleased with myself. Someone with now. Mike Myers. <laughs> That's the one. Yes, the guy from Halloween. Um, so, I'm sorry, everybody. We're feeling a little silly. Um, Curse of the Weir Rabbit. <laughs> Oh, that's ridiculous. Okay. Okay. All right. Serious subject. Yes. All right. Here we go. Hit it. Huh. All right. Um, but yeah, so his his decision to have it take place primarily in a small town and largely in one house, uh, focusing on one family, um, I think that was that's a stroke of genius. That's always mm-hmm. the uh, that I think is like the best way to handle these kind of th- kinds of things. Yeah. Um, because. You know, uh, you can see how the president reacts all you want. Like, how does it look to people who live in a a part of the world or a part of the country that one could say would remain largely untouched by this kind of thing? And uh, and how would it play into, you know, how would their own personal issues, how would they play into how they respond to this? And uh, and I think I I, it's my favorite film of Shyamalan. Oh, me too. Yeah, by far. And so, um, and and I hope that he somehow gets back to that. I, I have faith in the Last Airbender. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, and I I think it it also does speak to the theme that we're discussing because uh, Mel Gibson plays a uh, uh, a reverend whose wife passed away uh, a year or two before. I don't mm-hmm. quite recall. And his brother Graham Graham Hess. Oh, what a great name. <laughs> pretty it's it's almost uh, right there with uh, Malcolm Crow. Yeah. It's a very comforting name actually. I Graham think. Hess. Yeah. It is. And uh, and his brother uh, Merrill played by Joaquin Phoenix, he moves in uh, and so it's Graham and and his uh, and his two children. Um and he is no longer a reverend because mm-hmm. his attitude uh regarding his wife's uh sudden and very unexpected death, an unusual death, yeah. by the way. Um his reaction was to reject God or more specifically to say there's nothing there. Right. But what's interesting is that his, his reaction, I recently watched a, watched a, uh, a debate uh, between a guy named Frank Turek, I believe, and Christopher Hitchens and, uh, and Frank Turek summed up uh, Hitchens attitude towards God in a very, in, in kind of an interesting way uh, that I would say is very similar to uh, Mel Gibson's, um, in which he says uh, he doesn't believe in God and he hates him. Yeah. You know, and so so all throughout Graham is saying there is no God. We are alone. There's yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, things like this wouldn't happen. There, there's a real I mean, that that scene that is like that's the scene where watching it for the first time, I realized this movie is so much more. Oh, absolutely. Like, even more than just like, oh, that's a really interesting exercise to not go big alien and, yeah. you know, play, just just stick with this family. Yeah. Like, that scene, the the time it takes, the just, the, the just slow, melodical pacing of that, like, yeah. as they're just going back and forth and the TV is glimmering in between them, uh, you know, with them, like, he's, like, telling a story, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is telling a story about, like, because he 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 assumes his brother is leading him toward that direction is yeah. toward the direction of okay there is something there and it is a miracle and it is yeah. amazing um and actually I may have misspoke do we see the lights of the spacecraft from like the TV or is it like invisible I forget uh I don't remember honestly it's been a, it's been a while since I've seen it so that that detail I don't recall specifically um, but, but but so Merrill tells this story about how like 
and and it's a funny story, but it's a it's a really sweet story about how, you know, th- this time where he almost could have made this huge mistake and would have gotten thrown up on, and yeah. he's like, no, that's that's it's a it's a miracle because that yeah. didn't happen. Yeah, and then uh, Graham just just destroys him. Yeah, and just says, no, there's nothing. We're alone. Yeah, and then, but then later on, uh, his son. Uh, it, who has uh, uh, asthma? Yeah, is uh, it, it's in the it's in the climax of the film, and his son can't breathe, yeah. and he's and and Mel Gibson is holding him. I love that. I'm getting teared. I'm tearing up now. Yeah, Mel Gibson is holding him, and and is trying to get help him to breathe regularly. He doesn't want to lose his son the way he lost his wife, and he's clearly praying. Oh yeah, and he's. I mean, for a man who doesn't believe in God, like obviously. His lack of belief in God is a defiant choice. Yeah, uh, and because, even that prayer, he's sort of scolding God. Yeah, he says, "I mean, he says, I hate you." Yeah, you know, and he says, "Don't like, don't do this to me again." And it's just, it's, and you just feel so, and it's it's fascinating because as a Christian, of course, I I believe in God and I I love God, and so someone saying I hate God, it would it, it's something that should hit my ears a certain way. Yeah, but in that, I just felt so I felt so much sympathy for him yeah and i just wanted to like hold him and just say like i i i I can't imagine how hard this is for you and just and what's what's interesting about that moment too is that's the moment that meryl right after that says i don't ever want to hear you talk like that again yeah like you you would think almost sort of like especially in this day and age that would be the moment where it's like oh yeah god maybe god is real but you know what he he treats us like this, and so we deserve to hate him. Like right. that that moment could sort of be the poster uh, for for that line of thinking. Yeah. But the film doesn't let it off that way. Like yeah. He he the the brother just strongly confronts him and says, "I don't ever want to hear those words out of your mouth again." Yeah. And Graham apologizes. But it is still it's a still it's a very important thing to happen. Yeah. Um. It's it's essentially you can interpret it as Meryl saying, "I don't want you to stay in that place." Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. But it is extremely important that it happened. Absolutely. And uh, and so this family has undergone a lot of bad things. Um. And but you know the the twist. You know the the standard thing for M Night Shyamalan is a twist. Uh. And in this one, it's less of a twist in the way of Unbreakable and yeah. the way of uh, Sixth Sense. It's a twist that that is it's more it's more of a slow realization than a yeah. real twist. Yeah. Um, and the real you know, uh, and and some have said and perhaps rightfully so that uh, you know the twist the the realization uh, of of the fact that there is a God and He is working and He uses bad circumstances for good eventually, mm-hmm. uh, whenever that might be. Um, that realization. Someone could say that that's just a writer's trick. You know, he's setting up all these things throughout, and then they all come together in right. this moment. Um, and so, <coughs> excuse me. And so, uh, for example, um, Abigail Breslin's character, you know, just drinks water and leaves it all over the house. Now, that's not necessarily a tragedy. Uh, it's a little no. wasteful, but not yeah. a tragedy. Uh, Rory Culkin's character has asthma, and it has been, you know, a serious issue throughout his whole life. And in fact, as we see in the basement, he's almost going to die as a function of it. Uh, And then one of the aliens attacks and actually like uh, sprays this poison into the kid's lungs, but he doesn't breathe it in because his lungs are closed because he has asthma. Mm -hmm. And so, and that, that more than anything else, that realization is when Graham says like, 
His lungs were closed. He's not dead. That That's why he had asthma. Now, of course, there's a lot of different ways to interpret that, which you and I discussed. Like, right. did God give him asthma? Or did God say, or, or does he just have asthma? And God said, I can use this right. to save his life. And see, doesn't, doesn't that, the way I interpret that is like, that's another prayer. Yeah. And that is like, he's pleading with God yeah. to let this be the case. Like, yeah. Um, and I, I, I know this, this came up on, on BP recently, and, and I do really, like, uh, I think someone made a good joke about how it's like, you know, God sets up this, like, Rube Goldberg contraption, <laughs> and that's the only way he works. Yeah. And I, I, I do think that it is, there is, there is an important uh, difference yeah. in that, like, and it's sort of, it sort of is the, diversion, the divergence of the perspective of signs and the perspective of a serious man. Yeah. It's like... The perspective, I think, is bad things happen. Yeah. They happen to good people. They happen to bad people. Yeah. They happen. Um, now, a serious man seems, uh, at least on its surface, to think that they happen, and that's all there is to it, and there's nothing we can do about them, and that is the evidence of, if there is a God, he doesn't like us. Right. Signs takes the the uh, perspective that, that I believe is true, and I believe that the Bible supports, mm-hmm. that bad things happen. <laughs> And not not because God necessarily said, I want this bad thing to happen or I want this right. to happen. You know, they just they happen. Yeah. Um, but God is bigger than those things. And it's not that he made it happen so that he could, you know, he gave the kid asthma so that his lungs wouldn't collapse. It's that he had asthma and the daughter happened to be the sort of kid who leaves water around. And you know what? God can use all of these different things for his for his will. Yeah. Like he can breathe meaning into meaninglessness. Like that is the paradox. And that is like, what is more powerful to, to just control everything and to force things to be one way or to be able to accomplish your will and to breathe meaning into meaningless where yeah. it did not exist anymore. Uh, before that, there's a, a verse here, uh, at the end of the, the last chapter of Job, uh, it's, a, uh, it's uh, chapter 42, verses 1 and 2. Uh, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Mm-hmm. And that, I love that verse, especially in reference to like what you were just saying. Yeah. The idea of, of God being like, look, I have this thing that I need to do, and it is good. And a lot of crap will happen, but I will find a way around it. Yeah. And in fact... I might even be able to use it. Yeah, it's that doesn't of, mean I may, that doesn't mean it's good. Yeah, but I I can use it exactly because then you <laughs> could like someone could make the argument. Oh well, you know, I wouldn't have turned to God unless I sinned. Mm. So sin is good, and God yeah. made me sin, and God wants me to sin so that I keep knowing that I'm a sinner. <laughs> yeah, and it's like no. Yeah, you have <laughs> chosen to sin, yeah. and because that's what you choose, you are in need of salvation. Like. Right. You know, God didn't force you to sin. Yeah. You just sin because that's who you yeah. are. You know, there's a uh, an auth, uh, a, a pastor and an author named Tim Keller who— uh, TK? Know, TK. We I all, no we all know him. Um, <clears throat> he wrote a book called uh, the, uh, the Reason for God. Mm-hmm. And uh, as it turns out, he's the, uh, the mentor of the pastor of the church that you and I go to. Um, which oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so he—and uh, he's, he's 
He's a fairly famous uh, apologist in that in those circles, and he has a sermon. I I couldn't find it. Uh, I didn't remember which one it was, but he has a sermon that's available through podcast form in which he talked about God being able to do good out of bad. Yeah, and he basically this is I'll I'll, I'll try and piece it together as quickly as I can. He said he talked about the the church. It's called Redeemer Presbyterian. It's in New York. And it's a large church that has done a lot of good in that city, mm-hmm. uh, both as far as people's spiritual lives, but also charity work and work with the homeless and that sort of thing. So he says, Redeemer Prez came from, admittedly, from me, that being Tim Keller, from me wanting to start a church in New York. My decision to do that came from my mentor, who I met through this specific college, which my mentor would not have worked at had he because he's British and like something went something bad happened with his visa and he couldn't leave and and somebody intervened to say well he can't leave anyway let's have let's put him on staff at this college and it was just a student that said that <clears throat> the student happened to be the son of Gerald Ford huh. and and then he says well why you know and why was Gerald Ford president well because some guys broke into a hotel <laughs> and just and so. And so basically, so he says, Watergate happened for you. And (laughs) he says, he goes, of course, that's, that's a very, that's an oversimplification. But if you look at like this, this weird, as you said, Rube Goldberg, Rube Goldbergian kind of sequence of events, does that mean Watergate was good? No, of course not. But through one thing, and does it, it, was it good that this guy's visa expired and he couldn't leave the country or whatever the case was? No, but God, you know put people in place right. so that good came out of it. Right. That doesn't mean that the thing itself was good uh, or that God liked it. In fact, God mourns with us when mm-hmm. bad things happen. Just like you mentioned Lazarus, Jesus cried when Lazarus yeah. died. That implies, first off, that he could not have stopped it in that moment. Mm-hmm. Not to imply that, Jesus, that God can't stop things, but it implies that it's just a thing that happened. He didn't yeah. cause it, and he certainly didn't sanction it. You know, but he saw the opportunity in it to show people who he was and yeah. and resurrected Lazarus. Yeah. So I, I think one other thing, like the immediate flaw in that line of thinking of, oh, well, God did this thing over here to do this thing over here to do this thing over here mm-hmm. is like that could not be a, a better example of tunnel vision. Like, yeah. There are so many other things that went into all of those decisions, yeah. things that we will never see. It is so much more expansive and and it's so much bigger than we are mm-hmm. that to try to say it's this one thing that to this one thing to this one thing yeah. is is really sort of idiotic. Yeah. Um and and I, I think you know some someone could say well then science is idiotic because it just sort of points, you know, mm-hmm. makes all these little things. Uh but it's like immediately it's like look at how messy it is the the relationship between the the man who who hit his wife yeah. with his truck and him yeah like they're not friends it's not like they became friends and bonded over the experience right. or, or anything like like it is a messy situation there's all sorts of loose ends there yeah um and and, and one thing that i that i would just like to say Sort of in terms of because because I do think these are a really good compare and contrast to mm-hmm. films. Um, if you look at the type of person Graham Hess is compared to Larry Gopnik, what he does with these with this information, like mm-hmm. he he does reject God uh, for a time. But the movie, I feel like, is sort of 
it is like it is him fighting with himself constantly yeah. over trying to be a good father and grieve for his wife and not accept things that he doesn't want to accept and like right. try to bi- like build this wall around himself. Yeah. Um, and he goes, but he goes back and forth, and he keeps like. It's it's really amazing, like, sort of hit him as a father, both undoes him at times and brings him back. Yeah. Um. And I I want to just highlight my my favorite two scenes, my my favorite back to back moments okay. from the film, um, which is the dinner table scene, like. It's a, oh, it's it wonderful. is a good thing. He wants, you know, they're, if they're going to die, we're going to have one final meal and it's going to be this nice thing for the kids and it's going to take their minds off it. Well, then he blows it because yeah. he won't pray because, again, it's like wants to do something good but is like fighting with himself. Yeah. So he completely ruins that. It turns into him uh, at, at his worst as a father yeah. to the point where his son like tells him he hates him. Yeah. Um, and then what happens? Do you remember? And then they all break down crying. They break down crying. Yeah. They hug. But then they have to board up the house because yeah. they hear things. And I think, like, I was thinking about it today <coughs> at work and, like, had to stop because I was getting emotional. Yeah. Like, I don't know what better film shows, like, a, a better moment as a father than this film when there are all these aliens around the house and they're boarding up the house. And this is something, like frightening and he knows that his kids will be frightened by this and so at seemingly the absolute worst time to do it yeah he tells them about their birth yeah and it's something that will get their attention because it's about them and their mother who they have very little you know they they there's not much of her for them to grasp onto right and so he tells them these stories as him and him and Meryl are like running back and forth boarding up these windows and stuff and he distracts his kids from all of the danger that is closing in on them. Yeah. And he take he uses it as a moment to God. He uses it as a moment to show his kids uh how loved they are and how loved they were and uh and to, and to make them feel uh secure. Yeah. And it's like that that balancing of tone to get a little more technical and remove, so I stop uh, <laughs> tearing up. To know to do that, and to have a to have that work so well, and folding in every element of plot and character that has been in the movie, is absolutely magnificent. Like it is such, it it is it is like that's that's one of the most brilliant scenes in any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, there's I, a lot of it. there's a lot of very very raw humanity that you don't yeah. normally find in films of that. St- of the of that scope, and by scope I mean from a Hollywood standpoint, like, in what seems like a, a genre film. Uh, yeah, a genre film starring a huge star. Yeah, uh, from a director who you know sells you know lots of yeah. tickets. Um, but uh, yeah, and we need to uh, we need to uh, start wrapping up. But one thing that I will say actually is you know we've been talking all about this this cause and effect kind of thing that yeah. that bad things happen and God either circumvents them. Or uses them. I would venture to say he never really circumvents them. I would say he always uses them. Yeah. Um, because uh, he can turn something bad and make it good. But what I will say is, to use an, uh, the the example from Signs, um, what is what is Rory Culkin's character's name? Morgan. Morgan had. How old would you say he is in the film? Ten. Yeah. About eleven, that. maybe. Ten, eleven. Um, he's had asthma his whole life. Mm-hmm. 
and they didn't really realize why until 10 or 11 years in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, from a, you know, from a, a story standpoint, bad things can happen to people. You could wind up sick. You could wind up alone, Mm -hmm. jobless, whatever. Um, and you, and you know, we talk about signs. We talk about, you know, uh, I, I mentioned that story from Tim Keller. You know, you can see, you can connect all the dots and be like, oh, okay, that's easy. But what about me? You may not always be able to see the next dot, and it honestly, yeah. the next dot might actually have nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. And it's and that's where the faith comes in is you just have to have faith that God knows what He's doing. Yeah, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than your understanding, and hopefully. I realize that sometimes that can be incredibly frustrating because you demand to know so that at the very least it will make sense and you can feel like these things didn't happen in vain. Mm -hmm. But hopefully you can take a certain degree of comfort that somehow God is going to use this to bless somebody. Might not be me. And and that's the really hard thing. Like in signs, it is is very direct. And it's very direct because it can sort of be that because it is a genre movie. Um you know, and it and it is direct like that to sort of make the point. But the truth of the matter is, something may happen to you, or something may happen to someone someone you know, mm-hmm. and it may affect you, and you may have no idea how God. You may never know how yeah. God used it. But again, that is simply because we have a very limited perspective, and all we can see is very direct things. Yeah, that we can say, oh, this was for this. We can only see sort of in that cause and effect, but that's not how God views it. I remember a woman um, uh, who went on a, a missions trip with me. Her testimony was about how her husband died mm-hmm. um, and how it wasn't until a couple years after he died that she stopped blaming God. And she spoke about like, you know, we see like this picture that is the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you turn that over... It is actually a tapestry with all of these lines going yeah. every which way, so much so that it's very difficult to make any sense of that. Yeah. But but God has the perspective that he one he did that all he he orchestrated that he yeah. was able to use all of that, and he he understands it. Mm-hmm. He under he understands the math. Yeah. You know, and he has a a larger perspective, so he knows it, even if we never do, and yeah. that. That can be simultaneously, like, you can feel futile. Yeah. Um, but it should also, like, fill us with hope. Yeah. Um, and and it is not a blind hope. It's not blind to say that, that he'll use it and <coughs> even if we don't know it. It's it's simply a fact of life. Yeah. We, we don't know everything. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's probably where we'll end. Uh, this episode wound up being more uh, emotional than I anticipated. Um, but I guess such is the nature of, uh, films like these, yeah. uh, and questions like these. Um, so what I, I'll end this the way I always do and, uh, say, uh, thank you, Jason, for, uh, being on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, hopefully you guys, uh, got something out of this. Um, I don't mean to imply that you wouldn't, but, uh, we kind of, we were talking in, uh, during the break about how we kind of swirled around, uh, all over the place and, uh, hopefully you make, you're able to make sense of, out of, uh, what we said. Um, but, uh, so you can, uh, go to the website, more than one lesson.com. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, new blogs on a fairly regular basis. Uh, I haven't written anything in a while. Jason's taking a break. Uh, I just wrote something about <coughs> filmmaking though. 
That's right, which I've yet to put up. That's right. Um, and then uh, Josh Long is uh, is is uh, out of town for the next several weeks, so he's not going to be writing anything. But but uh, check back on a regular basis. Uh, you can uh, subscribe through it. Uh, you can s- subscribe to it through uh, Google uh, Reader, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, let's see. Uh, there is the the forum, the new forum, uh, which you know there's not many people involved in it right now, but uh, there's some good conversations going on there. Um, you can uh, find the show on iTunes. Please leave a, a comment, a nice comment. Uh, recommend the show to your friends. I'm trying to build an audience uh, <laughs> if I can. So um, I'm real sorry about that. It's fine. This this. Uh, this one's just going to be a wash. That's the way I look at it. Um, and uh, lateral move. Now, would you would you say that uh, you recommend that Christians see a serious man? Uh, I would. I would recommend. Yeah, they see, they see it in groups. Uh, I don't know that I would recommend that they see it before as their first Cohen Brothers experience. <laughs> no, um, because I feel like you you sort of need to understand them as filmmakers to really appreciate it. And yeah. it is a difficult film. I, I'm yeah. not trying to be. Uh, you know, uh, elitist or anything. It's, it's yeah. a film. We all, I mean, we didn't really come to any concrete answers about it. Yeah. Um, I think there are some other films by the Coen brothers that, that may, uh, there may be a nice, a nice basis before they see this, but I, yeah. I definitely think it is worth your time. Absolutely. And, and at the, at the very least, because like, you know, their sense of humor, Jay's and I did talk about how we feel like they might be a little condescending towards their characters in the film. But as far as their sense of humor, it is often a very funny film. Yeah. And if you you might view the humor as being a little more irrever- uh, uh, irreverent than it actually is. Yeah. If you haven't seen their previous films right. and you see the sen- the very dark sense of humor that they bring to every film that they've ever made. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would absolutely uh, recommend it. I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, enjoying it doesn't necessarily mean having it all figured out. Yeah. In fact... Often my favorite films, the ones that I love the most and enjoy the most, are the ones that I, I I'm peeling away layers, but I feel like I feel like there are probably way more. Yeah. Um. So I recommend that. Certainly recommend Signs. I'm oh, sure yeah. many of you have seen it already, but uh, and we've kind of ruined some of it for you. Sorry. Spoilers. That's nah, too late now. But uh, yeah. So thanks everybody for listening. If you have any uh, feedback, you can email me Tyler at morethanonelesson.com. dot com. Uh, Jason, again, thanks for being here. Thanks very much for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. And we will uh, we'll have Jason back on to talk about uh, to talk about writing in general. And uh, hopefully by that time, reservations will be all finished up, and you can uh, we'll see if we can find a way of getting it getting it to you if you like uh, win a contest or something. I don't know. I'll, f- I'll figure it out at the time. But uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening, and I'll get you next time. Bye.